Today's episode of the Big 5D Podcast is brought to you by Duda, a professional website builder trusted by 18,000 agencies and SaaS platforms. Every 17 seconds, a new website is built on Duda. To learn more, visit them at duda.co. That's D-U-D-A dot C-O. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Big 5D Podcast. I'm here with Brenton. Naker, CVVC, which is a blockchain-focused venture firm. Tell us quickly about CVVC, and then we'll talk about blockchain in Africa. Brilliant. So, I mean, uh, thanks for having me, Charles. Uh, we always have uh, brilliant discussions. So now, I guess everybody else will get to hear them. Uh, so CVVC, you know, we're uh, a VC. Everyone knows about Silicon Valley. We're really famous for starting this ecosystem called Crypto Valley, which is, you know, the equivalent of the blockchain space. And we've been pretty active investing in Africa over the last year or so. Okay. Now, the Crypto Valley you refer to is actually in Switzerland, right? Correct. Correct. Zug, which is a beautiful city on a lake, I believe. I, I've not been there. It looks amazing. It is, it is. We'll have yeah. to get you out to the conference next year. But yeah. <laughs> I would love to. Made. That would be awesome. Okay. Anyway, so we're here to talk a little bit about sort of blockchain in Africa and what its future looks like. Before we do that, I can't do this without sort of saying, what's your take on what's been going on? You know, there's been this thing crashing and that thing crashing. And uh, a lot of uh, people who aren't in crypto, whether they're regulators or journalists or elected officials around the world beating up on crypto. Give us a quick state of play from your point of view before we get into sort of the Africa specific questions oh well i think uh, that's something we could probably have a whole podcast of on. course we could yeah but i'm asking for a couple think, minutes on it <laughs> you know i think uh look it, it i think it was this this sort of black swan confluence of factors that that really led to this contagion that that almost sort of stemmed from the the wider macro environment Plus, you know, some of the, the the bad actors in the space. And it's it really is just a an isolated few cases of really, really poor risk management by, by human beings, to be quite honest. And you know, if we if people in very, very deep in the crypto space always like to, you know, bash the, the traditional financial markets and regulation, et cetera. But I think, you know, some of these parameters that they allow different market actors, whether they be hedge funds or custodians, et cetera. To, to operate within are, are to prevent things exactly like what we saw. You know, uh, a lot of people were behaving pretty much in summary, like the market was only going to go up and to the right forever. And because of that, they employed a lot of risk. And, you know, once one domino started falling in the space, whether it was, uh, you know, bad actors or not, it just started this contagion where we saw there were a lot of threads through which a lot of crypto companies had you know, a lot of commonalities. So mm. I do think it's temporary. It's just a case of some very bad risk management, uh, some very bad actors in the space. But, you know, this is, I guess, what happens when you you try to build the future in real time. Okay, we could, like you said, we could devote a whole podcast to unpacking what you just said. When you say temporary, um, is temporary in glacier terms, glacial terms, or temporary in other in another uh, time frame? Uh, what does temporary mean in your view, uh, or how, what does it feel like to you? So, so I, I've sort of got two specific views, right? And the one is obviously the one everybody wants to know about: crypto, Twitter, etc. And that's price action. And I think 
by and large, you know, however much you want to separate crypto from the bunch, uh, it behaves very much just like another asset class by and large. There's a lot mm -hmm. of speculative trading going on. Uh, and because of that, we've seen this very deep correlation to traditional markets. So temporary from a, a price action perspective to me, in my opinion, not financial advice. Yes, uh, is, of course. You know, <laughs> I'll start the course. podcast Once with we, none of this is financial advice. Okay. None of this is yeah. financial advice. Thank you. Thank you. Save <laughs> me. Uh -huh. uh, so look, I think we're going to start seeing, we've seen some really exciting activity today, but more sustained long-term sort of value accruing to the crypto space once we see that turnaround in the traditional macro perspective, right? Once we see the Fed starting, you know, to hit terminal rates, starting to cut, we see looser sort of liquidity situations globally. Uh, and I think just like all other assets, um, rising tide, you know, raises all ships from a price action perspective. That's when what okay. temporary. So there's been no fundamental change there as you see it. In yeah, the exactly. connection to the macro conditions. Okay, fair enough. No, very much so, very much so. And on the other view of temporary, um, I think that because of some of the actions of, of the bad actors we spoke about is regulators around the world are now taking a very, very serious view on how to appropriately approach the sector. And it's, you know, in their defense, it's it's not something where you wake up and you're like, hey, we need to protect people. Cool. This is what we do. Let's write, that, write down, you know, three rules. Mm -hmm. um, I think it is going to take a lot of engagement from them, from the industry. But uh, once they get it right and we have clear rules for people to play the game with, you know, just to, to be sort right. of simple, simplistic. As in securities, uh, right? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And then you've got these these sort of, um, you know, oversight over the risk practices of some of these players, um, etc. I think then we'll start to see more innovations coming back to the space, really exciting things in DeFi, really exciting things in the NFT space. You know, we've still seen, despite the, the sort of price action and negativity, we've still seen a lot of um, you know, corporate partnerships in the space. A lot of the the traditionals. I mean, Polygon uh, is one of our partners in Africa. I mean, if you follow them, they're partnering with with another unicorn or billion dollar traditional company every other week. Okay. Uh, so I think that the underlying fundamentals of the industry is growing. People are using it. They're building useful things. Um, but again, I think we we sort of saw this temporary setback being the bad actors causing a lot of you know. Um, scrutiny on the space but once things get cleared out smoke clears i think we we start racing forward again okay and you think that's in 2023 oh to be honest i hard to, hard to predict think, hard to predict hard to predict hard to okay. predict. i mean uh, regulators are not known for moving as well the regulatory pace. thing could yeah if it if it's hinged on that i would my guess is just based on the way the pace things tend typically move at that doesn't seem likely doesn't seem likely. Exactly. Probably okay. looking at 2025. Okay. Okay. That's fair. We'll, uh, we'll take that uh, signal to pivot to what we really want to talk about today, which is kind of what you do, which is finding companies that are using, if, if I'm putting words in your mouth, stop me, but finding companies using blockchain to solve real world African problems and helping them grow. Right. Close, close enough. No, that, that was, I'd say, ninety nine percent, and it's actually true. But the way we—that's pretty much our thesis in the line. But the way mm -hmm. we phrase it is, 
um, that are solving African or emerging market problems. So we okay, see a lot of okay, that's a slight amendment, right? Yeah, slight okay. amendment, but, but you would have definitely got an A on that one. <laughs> okay, African and emerging, which suggests that CVVC has a not an African focus, which I know is not the firms yeah. only, but an emerging market focus. Is that fair? Correct. Right. Okay. You've got an accelerator program underway, right? Could you tell us about that very quickly? Oh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. So um, applications are open if any founders are listening until the 15th of Jan. So I don't know when this is going to be published. Um, barely within that. But if you can give them a one or two day extension, if they say they heard yeah, the podcast. If you Big Five Podcast, <laughs> we will give you a two day extension. It's an accelerator where we plug you into our network in Africa, which includes people like, you know, the biggest exchange being Valor, um, Standard Bank, who's doing some amazing work in this space. But right. the real value add is our network out in Zug, which is known as Crypto Valley, which, you know, includes the biggest protocols in the world from Cardano to Ethereum. Uh, and that's something as an investor specifically that there is no one else on the continent really who, who can expose you to that network. Um, of course, the other part is that we're quite passionate about is um, our deal terms are exactly the same as the founders we invest in in New York, out in London, uh, and that's $135,000 uh, for 7%, which, you know, is very competitive, according to me. That sounds very Y Combinator-ish. You, you, you <laughs> literally took the words out of my mouth. I was about okay. to say, but sometimes referred to as the YC of blockchain and Web3. Okay, okay, okay. Got it. All right, moving on. So... The, the meat of what I was interested in, in discussing is, so why is Africa a, an interesting place for, for startups using blockchain to solve problems? Could you talk a little bit about what it is about Africa? And I know Africa is a collection of many countries. It's not one country. I, I, I understand all of that, but it is often talked about as a market, uh, fairly or unfairly. So, you know, you can talk about it within certain parts of Africa or however you want to talk about it. But why is Africa so interesting for applying blockchain to solve problems? And is it beyond just payments? But we can talk about that. But let's talk about it more broadly than that. If no, I, I, look, it's, it's and this is exactly why, you know, we've got this global fund where we decided to really take foothold and do something special in Africa is mm -hmm. um, funny enough. We, we, we had this conversation with a few investors a couple of weeks back. Uh, and we used a really, really great analogy with, with mm -hmm. one of our portfolio companies. So the wider answer is there are, there's firstly the demographic situation in Africa, which isn't unique to blockchain, but it definitely leads to uh, a better environment to build these new technologies. In. And mm -hmm. when I speak about, I speak about the fact that we've got the youngest population, right. you know, globally at, at about 19 years old. Europe, I think, is is about 55. So that's a slight you know, difference. <laughs> yeah, you try introducing new tech to a 19 yeah, yeah. year old and a 55 year old, mm -hmm. um, and then you've got all these other compounded things. You know, the increasing mobile penetration, digital penetration, uh, and that's not unique to us, but why Africa and blockchain are, are sort of a perfect marriage is because if you look to where those really developed markets are, Europe, America, where there's a lot of this activity happening in the blockchain and crypto space, it's exchanges, it's financial products, you know, it's people speculating. And, Built you know, around trading, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's just this asset class. Mm -hmm. But if you come back to the data from a number of the reports, Chain Analysis, Who Tweet Digital 2020, uh, myself spending two years at the helm of, of the biggest exchange uh, in the world in, in terms of Africa, uh, you, you see Africans, one, adopting cryptocurrency at a far more rapid rate 
and two, utilizing it in a very, very different way. Um, i.e. they're using it for payments, you know, there's, and I always tell the story because it just blows my mind. Uh, you know, there's this 40 year old merchants, uh, street merchants in Nigeria who can tell you what is the best network to send them USDT on to minimize the gas fees or basically right. make the transaction as cheap and fast as possible. Um, and that level of adoption and knowledge was, was just gained out of necessity. And that, you know, speaks to the specific why African blockchain, because mm -hmm. things like financial inclusion, you know, where <clears throat> there's billions of unbanked people where, you know, things like one of our, our portfolio companies are solving where property records are kept separately and in filing cabinets on 50 year old piece of paper somewhere, which leads to, you know, massive property fraud where at, at sometimes you, you can't act, the government can't even answer the question, who right. owns that house over there? Right, right, right. Uh, and those if, are if, 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 if a candle tips over and lights those papers on fire, yeah, it's a free for all. Exactly, yeah. those houses yeah. technically don't belong to anyone. Then. Right, and you know, these are things that are one. Africa has uh, it's a problem that is large enough to be solved significantly. So it has the addressable market and the problems. You know, um, I, I think we're one. So, in, so one what, in, I would, what I would really love is like it doesn't have to be a comprehensive list, but. Some specific problems. You just said problems. Let's get a short list of those. The biggest problems that blockchain is uniquely suited to solve. Perfect. So, I mean, I think the the one that is really easy to understand, and to be honest, you touched on it a bit earlier with fintech, is the lowest hanging fruit, uh, and that's remittances, right? Mm -hmm. For those who don't know, currently Sub-Saharan Africa, worst place to remit money to in the world. It's the most expensive. Yeah, the costs are way up there. Yeah, yeah. The costs are ridiculous. And, you know, as, as a South African, some of you will know these mob, um, mobile money, but money remittance services at like pick and pay and our, our retail outlets, uh, the charges there are sometimes 15, 25%. I mean, and if you look at the, the user base, right, sophisticated people were booking Forex on our, our banking app. They're sending, you know, a little bit extra that they can home to mom in a village. Uh, you know, so that 25% is a significant value to just be right. extracted. But if you look at cryptocurrency and the liquidity in local markets in Nigeria and Kenya and South Africa, it is completely possible right now, as we sit here today, to buy a synthetic dollar as a U.S. citizen, remit that to Nigeria in 15 minutes for free. Uh, in fact, because of local premiums, you'd actually end up sending the person more money. They'd get more money in Africa. Because less of it is taken in fees. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And it's almost instantaneous. It can be accessed by anyone um, and they can cash out local currency very easily. Thanks to some of these, these sort of local players. That's amazing. And is there, is this being, is there a company, can you give me a couple brands that are doing this now, or is this something that still hasn't, and is there any user training involved uh, in, to make this widespread kind of talk about adoption barriers? If, if that's really so I think you touched on one. And so the the sort of proof was that people went and upskilled themselves utilizing all these different third parties, right? Just because the, the benefit was so obvious, you know, mm -hmm. Bob would tell Sally, who would tell Mary, and they would help each other. Um, and this is obviously a barrier to mass adoption, because those user experiences they aren't built for, for the average person, right? It's quite complex. You need a cryptocurrency exchange account. And, and we've seen certain companies like um, building into African corridors and starting with those. One is 
uh, our portfolio company, Mizuma, they're combining mobile money and these blockchain rails to make uh, remittance between certain countries like Ghana and Nigeria, uh, almost instant, almost free. Uh, and obviously what they're doing is exactly that. They're abstracting that whole complex user experience. They're plugging those third parties in, in the back end and they're creating a, uh, a business where, you know, the average person can pick up their phone, link their bank account, click, I want to send 500 Kenyan shillings uh, to this person and click a button and it's done. Okay. Uh, so a lot of what we're seeing, again, like you said, is is in the payments fintech uh, space. Outside of that, now, for example, one thing I keep hearing about is identity management and the blockchain being a match made in heaven. And I don't know if there's anything going around in Africa around that topic. That's one I thought I had. But what are some other non-fintech use cases for blockchain that you see either happening now or that you think will be happening soon? Absolutely. So there, there's a couple areas that really excite me. I mean, this is fintech payments, remittances, the low hanging fruits. To be honest, the majority of our deal flow that we see is, is within that at the moment. Okay. But the areas where we are seeing some deal flow, one, and we've invested, and that I'm personally really excited about is, um, I think, counterfeit medicine and pharmaceuticals. So uh, blockchain's ability to act as the sort of provenance record within a supply chain is very well known. You know, mm -hmm. IBM's doing some amazing work with it. But in Africa, the problem of counterfeit pharmaceuticals on one hand, and then uh, digital records that are sort of ubiquitously available. Um, again, come back to this recording system. This hospital has your file on a piece of paper, um, and then you get sick in the city next door, and there's nothing you can really do. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a problem that this technology is very well positioned to solve, um, you know, sort of eradicating counterfeits within that, that supply chain, creating and the, the medical records would fall under a use case of digital identity. But one that's a little bit more exciting is uh, I think over the last couple of years, we've, we've seen this, this sort of wave of um, uptake globally of African art, you know, everything from music. I mean, I'm a piano. Is, is this going to be about music. NFTs? Yeah, it is. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm sorry. You can't, you can't forget the M word and the metaverse. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, so, well, carry on. I, we were going to get there sooner or later. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But at least you can see where we're going. Okay, yeah, I okay. think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, so from uh, that perspective, we've seen a lot of these creators blow up abroad. But unless you're, you know, signed by Sony and you're in that upper echelon 1%, mm -hmm. you can't go and do uh, a concert in Madison Square Garden. Right. But with this technology, you know, an artist can produce digital renditions, use a marketplace like OpenSea, um, platforms like Twitter, and they can create a global audience they can monetize. Um, and the same goes for different forms of art. Musicians, uh, one of our portfolio companies, Soda World, um, you know, they allow artists to create these live music experiences for an audience sitting in Berlin and Germany, you know, from their lounge uh, in a township in Cape Town. Okay. And I think as African culture becomes more popular globally, um, I think this technology is going to allow a huge uh, array of artists in Africa to really benefit and grow and monetize their talents. So why isn't that happening faster? To, um, what are the barriers to that? Because I know creators would love to you know, monetize more efficiently and more directly to their audience, right? With their audience, from their audience, whatever. Uh, it doesn't seem to be happening as fast as you would think the demand for that happening 
would, would, would dictate. So tell me, what do you think the barriers are there? Look, I, I think there's a, a number of different barriers. I mean, if we if we look at it a little bit wider, we've become addicted in, in the crypto space to the sort of like instant gratification idea. And if we look at these- It, it, it doesn't make that better, it makes it worse. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's, it's literally like yeah. we- you, you invest in a cryptocurrency today and tomorrow, why can't I buy a Lamborghini yet? Right. And uh, a lot of that, I think, cultural mindset has sort of perpetuated into the different industry verticals. And, and what I mean by that is we look at NFTs and metaverse as uh, an area where a significant amount of resources have been dedicated, whether it's human resources, whether it's capital, it's only been a couple of years, right? And I think the same is true for for the GameFi and the play-to-earn space. And I, I can't say this for certain, but I'm sure a lot of industries in the first two, three years had really clunky solutions that that probably didn't work. And I think that really is where we are at the moment. Is okay. Uh, you know, the idea is there, the vision's there, but we've just got to let executors, you know, give them some time to execute. So somebody has to build the right solution for to solve yeah. this issue. Is this now a good time to get the creators excited about what's coming? Because I'm not sure all creators are thinking this way. I don't know. You know, you understand like, what I'm what getting enough, at? <laughs> funny enough, we, we actually saw a lot more excitement around this um, specific area and a lot more deal flow as well uh, pre-COVID. Okay. Uh, and I think for, for artists specifically, you know, I, I really, um, you know, sympathize with them. I think COVID was a really, really difficult time. Uh, for artists and and you know people in, in general, space. but you, okay, in general, yeah. And what that when you can't it, perform, it's tough. Opinion. Yeah, yeah. Really when YouTube tough. is and your think, only venue, it's tough, right? It's tough. Yeah. And I think what that's done is two things. One, a lot of people have become very disillusioned in the space. Mm-hmm. Um, but two, it's accelerated a very small portion of people who realized the the potential of this technology to solve that issue. Um, and they've been building and they've been working. But again, it's only been two, three years. Okay. Um, and I think there are some grassroots movements. But until we start to see something significant, it might be, you know, another two or three years. Uh, and okay. COVID definitely, in my opinion, through a spanner in that timeline. Okay. Um, what did COVID do? Uh, didn't COVID accelerate the, the, the development on the fintech side? Not just Absolutely. blockchain, but uh, everything else. Entire, Are you I saying mean, it, it has slowed development on the sort of the web three creator economy stuff. Uh, correct me at any point if I'm throwing that not in too fast, but you know. No, yeah. no, not necessarily. I, I feel like it's left a lot of artists uh, specifically who would have been engaging more passionately with this new medium, just mm-hmm. very disillusioned in general. Not okay, so your, your audience kind of left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, like you gotta bring them back in order. So is bringing them, yeah. it, is bringing that audience back, making them excited again. I think what I heard you say is that that is going to be dependent on building the right thing to get them back. Is that Correct. fair? Okay. And that's, that's not, doesn't exist right now in your view. In my view, not that I've seen, I think it may be okay. out there somewhere, but it hasn't come across our desk yet. So if that's okay. you building it, bring it to our desk. Okay. Maybe this is an, is, are there any other things you would add that are big, exciting coming up? So, I mean, things I've over time, you hear about, you know, I, I mentioned these sort of identity management that we, touched on that a little, at least tangentially. Uh, the other thing I hear about is like democracy being uh, accelerated by blockchain because it makes voting 
safer and easier in, in a digital format and more reliable. Is anyone building anything around? Because I hear that a lot. Okay. You know what? And they, I've now they, never heard of anyone specifically building a voting uh, solution so around black. I know that they've actually been, and and the act, the specific locations escape my mind at the moment. Yeah. So I'm, I might find it and send it to you afterwards, and you can put it in the appendix. But okay. there are some uh, production systems that utilize technology. So, i.e., they've been used in in actual votes uh, around the world in some of those more developed countries, if memory serves me correct. Uh, but I think. I, I had an interesting discussion about this in Africa, mm -hmm. uh, specifically with with with, with a, a gentleman from another African country, mm -hmm. um, and you, you know we came to a very good point that yeah, it's a killer use case specifically for Africa where we see yeah I thought know, Africa would be a, a emerging markets generally, but yeah. But if you look at the the nature and magnitude of the other problems we have that are probably it falls know, down the list it falls down it, the it list. falls down the list yeah okay so I, I think it's it's a really great use case but there's just from and i don't want you know to get rubbed out after this but from a political standpoint you know uh i, I just think there's there's a there's a lot more bigger problems that they need to solve oh, okay right so yeah, the, everything we talked about up to this point once those are nailed then voting will be the on the on part two, um, it'll be part two. chapter Once two of blockchain table, killing, you know, knocking off every problem. We get the youth employment <laughs> sorted. Okay, all of that. Then we can then we can come back to the voting. You just said youth employment. You, you may have been that may have been a throwaway line for you, but is there a blockchain application that helps with youth employment that you can think of? So, so not one of the things that I'm quite passionate about, and we try to do some work in the space on our ecosystem business side is. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, and when I speak to this, I speak from a very South African lens, but I know of successful cases of this in a lot of countries like okay. Kenya, et cetera. And it's not that the technology itself um, is, is you know, in some way going to revolutionize the ability to become uh, employed. But what I do have a strong belief is, is um, setting up the fundamentals is we've got this huge problem in South Africa of youth unemployment. Right. And if you look at the only solutions to that, we've already got, you know, by other people's opinions, an inflated cabinet. It's not going to be a public sector solution. Mm -hmm. It's a private sector solution. And if you look at the growth required internally in South Africa, actual buildings, brick and mortar stores, it's 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 almost unattainable to create the kind of growth we need to create healthy it's not gonna employment. Be, a couple points of GDP is not going to solve this problem. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But... If you look at the, and again, if you're a believer, I mean, and this is not really uh, isolated to blockchain, but digital in general. Okay. If you look at the sector, right, the the Coinbase's of the world who are employing a number of people, you know, the the huge companies, uh, they don't just have blockchain architects sitting there, you know, writing smart contracts. They've got social media managers, they've got graphic designers, they've got PR people, they've got mm -hmm. content writers. And the one time we can actually look at you know, a, a weaker currency relative to to developed markets as a plus is, uh, you know, when our salaries are sort of getting denominated in dollars because, uh, you know, a Coinbase hiring me remotely, which has been accelerated by COVID, sitting out in Nairobi, paying me, you know, $1,500 for someone in New York, they they probably wouldn't even show up to that interview. Oh, for $1,500, it better be a day. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But if, if you're speaking to someone in Kenya, a young... Mm -hmm educated college student who's exceptional at graphic design 
um, you know, that is that is game changing. That's more than anyone locally. Well, we've we saw that start to happen really during COVID when everything was uh, I've talked to U.S. based startup founders who say I've my last 10 engineering hires were out of Nigeria, for example. You know, exactly. And uh, it all remote. Also very obviously. Fun to Cape Town. Also very fun to Cape Town. I know. Right. I, I, yeah. In this yeah. particular example I'm thinking of, this was set on stage in the States. I forget when. Recently, it was like, yeah, I'm hiring out of Nigeria now. You know? and, and as Africans, I feel like we need to be trying to accelerate that, right? By creating internal programs, upskilling programs, creating corridors, building bridges. Um, so when I speak to that, I think that's the, the powerful opportunity here. But it's, I think it's, it's largely related to tech. Uh, and the right. And it's and late, related to oh, the wage gap or the uh, earnings gap yeah. between Europe and the North America and Africa. Uh, so right. there's there's a smaller gap between the skill sets, if there is one, you know, and uh, a much larger gap between the expected wage expectations. Right. So if I'm an employer in New York or Berlin or wherever, that's going to be very attractive. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like that's an opportunity we aren't leveraging enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is there are there ideas on platforms that could be created and is blockchain a part of that uh, i'm not forcing the issue on blockchain on that because <laughs> this is an interesting topic independent of blockchain right um but are there platforms being created that you would point to that are accelerating this movement because i think i think you know the pieces are in place for this that to keep happening right particularly i think this year there's a lot of down, frankly downsizing that's been happening or will continue to happen, I think, for a little while, particularly in tech, particularly in quote unquote overstaffed tech companies. I'm not offering an opinion on whether they are actually overstaffed. That's a widely held opinion. Twitter is you know, the example people keep pointing to, but others are following and will follow Amazon, et cetera. Um, th- there will still be work needs to be done and they will want to find alternative ways to do it. I think the demand, I think it's set up to be something that will accelerate, in my opinion. But are there platforms helping that happen? I know there was it Andela. I forget the name of it. Uh, is yeah, one example. Yeah. Are there others? And does blockchain play a role here? So coming to the second part first, look, I don't, or we haven't seen any sort of compelling ways that blockchain specifically, you know, drives efficiencies in that sector. Okay, fine. But what did come to mind uh, when you mentioned specifically those two examples, right? Mm-hmm. So companies trying to operate more efficiently, drop their headcounts but also platforms that are allowing these talents to service global markets. And the one that comes to mind, in fact, funny enough, I met at Big Five Digital, the conference last year. Okay, uh, great. Thank was, you for mentioning uh, it. <laughs> yeah, I <think laughs> Next one's remember, coming soon, everyone. Uh, join us I in Cape Town. Zindi. Yeah. Zindi, the data science platform. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, essentially what, what they'd allow corporates to do is access this this global pool of, or sorry, African pool of data science, you know, across the nation um, of data scientists, whether they were students, whether they were, you know, seasoned chief data officers at corporates, mm-hmm. uh, and they would put out challenges and problems, you know, to this group and people would provide solutions, get scored, the winning solutions, you know, you transfer over IP, you get some money. Um, but I think platforms like that specifically are, are ones that accelerate the adoption. So so ones that are focused on a specific skill set, right? Like um, this one particularly is data scientists, data engineers. Um, Another one, developers in a certain language, maybe. I don't know. Um, Blockchain 
developers could, could exactly. be one. Yeah. Uh, okay. So are you seeing evidence that these platforms are forming? Or have you, have you, has anyone pitched you on one? So we have not been pitched one as yet. And again, I think because blockchain doesn't really play. Uh, maybe not. Uh, maybe not. Maybe you wouldn't be the one who get pitched. I, I, if I ask another VC, no, yeah. they, they may say, oh, I've gotten 10 of them. You know? No, I, I think yeah. I think that would definitely be the case. And I think mm -hmm. the, the growth and success of platforms like Andela and Cindy are, are the first sort of indicators of that. Okay. Uh, and I That's do feel we'll, we'll see a lot more of these sort of, you know, job marketplaces, et cetera, coming up in the future. Okay, that's interesting. We'll move on from there. Uh, I think it's roughly time to wrap up. Any sort of final thoughts on what you think the next few years look like for blockchain development in Africa? I think what's good is that things look as they should. And what I mean by that is that, look, it, it is a relatively immature market. Uh, so one, the wider venture spaces, depending who you ask, only really five to 10 years old in Africa and South Africa specifically. Uh, and then if you look at the, the prominence of the blockchain space with the rise of the Valors and the Lunos of the world, I'm talking specifically in Africa and the Paxfuls, et cetera. Again, that, that's you know even younger in terms of maturity. And when you look at the US markets, the European markets, that first wave of startups were all infrastructure and payments. They were all exchanges and DeFi and FinTech. Uh, and I think that's exactly what we're seeing here in Africa. So over the next couple of years, I do think, and, and like we, we spoke about, a lot of the, the compelling use cases that come to market are going to be in that remittance space, that FinTech space, the payment space. But over a, a five to 10 year period, uh, I'm quite excited to see what use cases come to mind because people then will be able to build off of these financial primitives, right? Whether it be uh, an API for credit score and another API for loan origination, mm -hmm. um, and then wrapping that up securely in a DAO, for example. Um, you know, you need all of those foundational primitives to be built in your market to be able to start building that really cool, innovative, complex stuff, which I do think Africa will start to see, you know, in the near future. Great. Okay. Well, we'll end it there, Brenton. Uh, thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, thank you for mentioning the Big Five Summit, which is coming up mid-March in Cape Town. We will see you there. Uh, and we hope to see everyone listening there as well. Uh, and thank you very much for joining. It was a lot of fun. And uh, that's, that's a wrap. Thanks. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure.